I'm Dan St. Clair, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I am overwhelmed with joy yet again at having the opportunity to speak with Mr. Callum Williams, who I, I, during a regular time, I would see him around the office, and I would say, what's up, chap, you know, and we would, uh, you know, share a tea, but now we don't get to do that. So this is the one time we get to get together, so I really look forward to it every week. Uh, we're going to be looking broadly at the the first few games from Minnesota as the regular season resumes uh, and also sort of what we think that resumption will look like overall in the league. Uh, But first, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season. Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us, uh, you know, through the tournament uh, and as we head forward into the rest of the season. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com/club/partners. All right, so Cal, I got a professional's help with this opening question. My brother. Sean McPherson, who is a, a DJ on, on The Current. People may know him through that. He also runs a company called Trivia Mafia, uh, where they do trivia games. Uh, they've been doing them online now. Uh, he likes to have these questions that are called icebreaker questions, where it's not a trivia question, but it's part of sort of the flow of just getting people talking in the, in the chat and everything like that. Uh, and he has been asking these kind of questions his whole life. And so he is an expert at coming up with these. Cal, would you rather give up salad dressing or ketchup and mustard? So you can either have your salads have dressing on them, uh, but then you don't get to have ketchup and mustard on your burgers, or you can have ketchup and mustard on your burgers, but your salads are just bone dry. I would give up ketchup and mustard. I just feel as though, because you can put different salad dressings even on burgers, you can put different sauces on burgers. I've done this before. Being from England where the food is notoriously terrible. <laughs> sure. <I've done> before. <laughs> so I would give up ketchup and mustard. I'm not a big mustard guy anyway. Okay. Ketchup is grand. I love ketchup. But I feel as though that is more replaceable than um, salad, uh, cream, and, and um, you know all these different types of toppings you can have on your salad, I guess. Although, I went through a stage, Steve, where I was putting salsa on my salads. Okay. Um, as the topping, which it was okay. It wasn't sure. a particularly glamorous experience, but it was okay. I was on a little bit of a health kick at the time, and it was okay. Yeah. Um, but I guess to answer your question, I would, I would give up uh, ketchup and mustard. I, I, you know, I don't know. These kind of questions always bring up technicalities and the question of, like, does, like, honey mustard dressing count as part of your mustard giving up? Or can, serious questions. I know. This is, a, this, is, this is why they're fun for debate. So is... Um, can you cook with mustard, you know, like in general? Because there's a lot of recipes I make that have Dijon mustard or something. And I do really like Dijon. Not as many with ketchup, but like it's in some surprising stuff like teriyaki sauce, I think has ketchup in it. Um, so there's some, you know, I think there's some some judgment here. I agree. It's tough because the idea of a salad that just has no dressing on it is, I mean, you just would probably never eat salad again because it would be terrible. Yeah, it's about as unappealing as you can possibly get really, isn't it? <laughs> Yes. Follow-up question, unrelated. Have you watched uh, Hamilton 
yet uh, or, or listened to it? Uh, yes, I have, yes. Okay. What did you think? <laughs> um, I'm going to get ridiculed and rinsed for this because I just... I consider myself a fairly cultured individual. Okay. Um, and one would argue, to be cultured, you would do things like go to the theatre and watch live plays and all this kind of stuff, arguably. Depends what city you're from, I guess. But yeah. I've been to several plays with my, my wife and, and we've gone... Uh, we, we are not too far from Hennepin uh, Avenue down in Minneapolis, so we've been to the Orpheum and, and several other uh, venues and sure. I've no problem with it. Um, it's not my first choice of activity, though. So um, when I was physically made to sit down on the couch and watch Hamilton in its entirety, which is something like, what, three hours or whatever it is? At least like two hours and 45 minutes. It's long. Well, it felt like about 23 hours. <laughs> um, it was... Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm being a bit of a bit of an idiot here, but it was... Look, it was enjoyable, um, but it was a bit too long for me. And um, naturally, a lot of it is killing English people, which isn't my fondest thing to do. So, you know, um, <laughs> no, it, it, it was okay, Steve. It was all right. I just, in all seriousness, I was just expecting a bit more because it had a lot of hype around it. And that's not necessarily the production's fault. Sure. Right. It's, it's, um, I watched it in two parts, uh, with my family, uh, you know, with, with the kids and we, it was too long for us to do all in one go. So we, we broke it up into two parts. And so we watched the first part of it sort of at the beginning of whenever it became a first became available. And then there was probably several weeks between that and watching the second part during which we listened to the soundtrack a bunch because the kids really liked the music. And then we watched the second half. And by the time we watched the second half, I was a little more prepared for it. And I, I sort of got into it a little more. It's interesting to me. I mean, I think that it's, it's Broadway and it's, you know, a musical. And I'm not a huge musical guy. I really like Singing in the Rain. It's one of my favorite movies. But that's about as far as my, I don't, I haven't seen Rent. I haven't seen Chicago. Like, I'm not, I'm not really a musical theater guy. Um, and it's interesting in the ways that it, it sort of transcends some of that stuff. Um, by being, you know, obviously so hip hop focused, uh, by taking something that you would think would be dry and sort of boring and making it lively. The cast is fascinating, like the demographics of it, where they're just, we're just going to cast anybody in whatever role. It doesn't matter, you know, like ethnicity, anything like that. That stuff's really exciting. Um, but it's still a musical and it's still all a lot of singing. Uh, and, and it's interesting. The thing that becomes really interesting to me about it is that Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, you know, the creator of Hamilton, uh, is not, he's not a very good singer. He's not a very good rapper. He's not a very good actor. Like he's not really like excellent at any of those things, but you know, it's sort of like he, he does all of the things together and obviously he's the, the, the creative mind behind it. And so sort of as a, as you know, it made me think about conversations about musicians who are either innovators or synthesizers that there's people who are like creating new forms and there's people who are sort of creating something new out of what's already existing rather than coming from left field and some people combine elements of both those things and i think miranda's interesting in that he's very much a synthesizer like he's not sort of like i have this idea of how to do this i mean all the rap is sort of standard rap you know like there's a lot of nods to like old rap songs, I'm John Lawrence in the place to be. Like he does a lot of stuff that's like standard rap tricks. It's not like 
Kendrick Lamar out there or something like that, like innovating the form. He's taking rap tropes and combining them with like musical tropes, combining them with like history. And it's very smart and it's very funny. And he's just sort of doing it all at this, this high level, even while he, and I think he's admitted this, he's not like the best actor, best rapper, best singer, any of that stuff, but he sort of puts it all together. And I, it's, I'm gradually warming up to it and my kids are going to listen to it a lot anyway. So I have to just accept that that's going to be the way it is. Yeah, you've got no choice. You have to, basically. Yeah. I, I thought, Steve, the the inventive nature was was quite intriguing because it is very different to what you would consider a traditional musical. Mm-hmm. I think the audience may very well have gathered by my initial response, I too am not necessarily a music theatre guy. Um, but it's not to say I won't enjoy a production if it's if it's done well. And I thought Hamilton was done extremely well. Yeah. Um, I just think its um, intricacies... And the way it was done was probably wasted on a mind like mine that is not um, particularly too fond of musicals and would much rather focus on football on a, on a regular basis. So, um, but look, I, I thought it was a, a fascinating production. It was new, it was inventive, um, and I mean, look, with the way the world works now, I'm sure we'll see another iteration uh, of um, of it or, or, or another production that's that's like it. Um, just because there'll be a boatload of money involved in it. So, <laughs> my oldest was was pushing for sort of uh, now that she wants a Thomas Jefferson musical. You know, like let's just do one for each. Of the sort of a Susie and Stevens like sort of state album uh, uh, pattern here. I did enjoy some of the act. The performances are great. The guy who plays Thomas Jefferson, who also plays. Um, uh, and I'm blanking on his name, Lafayette, in the first act, uh, is great and tremendously charming. And Leslie Odom Jr., um, who played Burr, is is terrific. There are some great performances there. So, you know, I, I, I'll probably have more updates as I, as I get more. We did a little bit of the Hamilton karaoke at my house with, uh, with uh, YouTube and uh, with the kids. So uh, it's pretty fun to have a four-year-old singing Hamilton. So, um, now, so yeah. now you're karaoke I can get behind for sure. There you go. All right, let's move on to soccer, which is returning again for the second time, um, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if it left. I guess that's up for debate. But uh, regular season results are once again uh, on the table here. In the next three weeks, Minnesota United has games against Sporting Kansas City right here at Allianz Field uh, at FC Dallas and at Houston. Houston. Uh, first of all, you were at training today at Allianz Field. Uh, what is your your overall sense of how the team is doing, how everybody's looking, um, you know, how the training seemed to go, the vibe, the, just the chance to get back to Allianz Field. Yeah, first and foremost, Steve, what I will say is that um, I, I would like to say thank you to everybody who has made um, today possible because it took a tremendous amount of work from stadium staff and um, people behind the scenes at Allianz Field in Minnesota United to be able to let someone like myself in um, and I think uh, myself and Kendra Deason Orban were talking about this. We we are so thankful and, and so privileged to be able to to see a training session um, in the current climate in which the world is operating. So a, a big shout out to everybody at the stadium and behind the scenes. Um, what I will say, Steve, is that I thought there was an overriding sense of excitement because there were different parts of the club around. You had... Uh, executives there, you had uh, the CEO was there, uh, obviously the players and the staff were there, there were uh, stadium staff there, um, marketing people were there, um, there was uh, the technical director Mark Watson stopped by for a chat with Kendra and I, um, and it 
it was just the the excitement was infectious. People are so so excited to to be back at Allianz Field. We know it's not going to be the same because the fans aren't going to be there. Which, in my opinion, there's, if there's if there's no fans, there's no football club, in my opinion. Um, but such is the the way of the world at the moment. It is an absolute necessary um, to to do this right now uh, until it is safe to to have fans back in. Um, the training session itself was good. There was a scrimmage which was fierce and competitive. Michael Boxall was was flawless. Kevin Molino had plenty of the ball. Robin Lurd was decent. Um, Mason Toy scored a goal or two. Um, it was um, inventive. It was um, at, at times the the training was very quick and explosive. Um, it was just full of positives, Steve. And as I said, I just think everybody's so excited just to, just to get back to the stadium. You know, we, we were robbed of the home debut, weren't we? Um, right. when, uh, when the world stopped um, several months ago when, when Minnesota was used to play the Red Bulls um, back in, in mid-March. Um, and, and I think it's, it's such a shame, isn't it? Because um, the last game at Allianz Field, obviously, was the playoff loss to LA Galaxy, which was in... October of 2019, which literally feels like 10 years ago. Right. So um, I feel for the fans who won't be able to attend because obviously they want to be in the stadium um, when it's safe. Um, I, as I said earlier, honestly, I just feel tremendously privileged to, to, to be able to be at the stadium and, and to, be, um, to be the voice behind um, what, what is going to be the, the first game back at the stadium, you know, on, on Friday evening. So... Um, I mean, I'm sure people have gathered that there's tremendous excitement, no doubt about it. People are really looking forward to what will be um, a warm welcome return to Allianz Field, I think. And uh, here's hoping it goes off without any issues. Yeah. And how does that grass look? That was one of the oh. things that I was, I was curious about because we all know that there were some, some issues, with, issues with the grass toward the end of last season. They replaced it. And now it's had a lot of time to breathe. And, and relax. So I, I imagine it's just looking pristine and beautiful. Well, pristine is the word I was going to use. Absolutely. It is like, um, it's like, you know, when you put a new carpet in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just that soft, smooth feel and you, you feel like you could roll around on it for weeks um, <laughs> and it's like nice and fluffy and it just, it, it is just genuinely quite a pleasurable experience just to just to be near it just to smell it you know uh, that is what the grass is like at the moment and um i uh, i i as i said walked um past it i didn't go onto the field today for obvious reasons but um i've, I've walked near it in uh, in previous working capacities when, when we've had to go to the stadium to, to call the, the MLS back tournament games off monitor and stuff. And, and it, it looked great a couple of weeks ago. I didn't think it was possible to look any better. So credit to Ryan Moy and, and his staff that, that have done a, a great job, the groundskeeping lot, have done um, perhaps one of the best jobs I've ever seen on a field. And, and like you said, you know, it, it's had a lot of time to breathe, no doubt. But it, I'm sure it's, by no means am I a grass expert, but I've seen it in the past where... Um, ground staff have, have done a bit too much on it um, or they've, they've perhaps because they've not got too much on they've left it a bit too long and, and things go wrong you know um, but Ryan Moy and, and his team have done an absolutely flawless job it's it's one of the best pitches I've ever seen Steve it looks magnificent it's ready to be played on 
Nice. It's going to, I mean, it's going to be too bad that people aren't there to experience it in person, but I'm sure it will be appreciated on television and just by the team getting out there to play and, and, and loving it. So um, now do, what is the timeline? I, you know, like there's so much to keep track of with this stuff. Um, Bakai Debassi is not here or he is here or he's coming, but we don't, he's probably not going to be available in the near future. No, I, to, to, so here, to my knowledge, I don't know if he's in the country or not yet. I have no idea. But right. regardless, I was told when I last spoke to one of the technical staff members about it um, that he won't be available for the first game because he has to quarantine for right. 10 days, I believe. Yeah, that's so, right. Which is totally understandable. Um, but uh, uh, unless he's come in 10 days ago or whatever to, you know, um, and that's not something we've been told. But to my knowledge, he's he's going to be unavailable for the game against Kansas City. Right. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about that game against Kansas City. Uh, transition to this. I mean, I feel like we just talked about playing Kansas City, which was we rarely see sporting Kansas City uh, <laughs> uh, on. They're an interesting team on paper. Um, and I mean, and on paper sort of discounts that, that they've actually looked pretty good. But I'm just saying that like when you look at the pieces they've got, you look at the history they have with those with the, the players who are longtime players there. And then you have Alan Polito, who's been as good as advertised. And, you know, they got a great player in Gadi Kinda, um, you know, sort of plucked out of the, the Israeli league. Uh, and then they still have, you know, Kyrie Shelton, who is, who's been instrumental in their success, uh, like a guy like Johnny Russell, who hasn't played as big a role yet, but we know he can be good. They've got Gianluca Busio, who's young and, and, and can look good. Um, and then, you know, you've got these players like Elie Sanchez and Graham Zussi, um, uh, who are good in Team Timelia between the sticks. But they're sort of all that, that part of the field is getting a little bit older. Um, so what do we make of them? bowing out early to Philly basically in the tournament after being picked to make sort of a deep run. It seems like they have everything going for them, but you know, they lost to Minnesota United, a little team called Minnesota United. They're kind of an underdog. I don't know if you guys know about them, Um, you know, (laughs) at the death essentially in that opening game. And then, and then fell to Philly in the MLS's back tournament when people were sort of picking them to be one of the favorites in the league. Yeah, and falling to Philadelphia, by the way, is is not a bad thing. It's no. you know Philadelphia more than proved themselves in the MLS back tournament and have done for several years now under under the stewardship of Jim Curtin, who I think deserves way more credit than what he's getting at the moment. Um, look, with with Kansas City right now, I think they are at the latter stages of transition um, because a lot of the the players that they had that were a part of, of what was the most successful era in club history. You're talking from 2011 to 2018. A lot of those players are now the wrong side of 30. They are 33, 34. Um, and I don't think you can expect as much from them as you have done in the past. It, you know, it's essentially looked like, like Ozzy Alonso. You can't expect Ozzy Alonso to play 34 regular season games. I know we more than likely won't have to play that many this year, but right. you get my point. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a lot to ask. And, and for so long, the spine of that team has been this core group that are no longer the players that they once were. They're still very, very good, and there's still lots of MLS teams that would take them. But mm-hmm. I think it's unfair to expect what we have seen in the past. In terms of them bowing out early to Philadelphia, Steve, I was discussing this on our other podcast, the Match Preview podcast with Kendra D. St. Aubin. And we were saying that I, I actually think 
Um, and I don't know this for, for certain because the way I know Peter Vermees, he's a competitor, he wants to win everything, um, and he would have drilled that into his players. I think one or two of the players uh, looked a little disinterested in that Philadelphia game. And I think their heads dropped a little bit early when they, con- I mean, they conceded early. Yeah. And I think their heads dropped a little bit. I wonder, because remember, we, we were talking about this on one of, one of these podcasts a while ago. I wonder if they were one of the teams that said, right, we've gotten what we need from the group stage. If we win going forward, if we keep on winning, then great, we'll, we'll continue to do it. But if we lose, we're not going to be completely dejected and disappointed sure. because it means we can go home and train in our markets and we can get ready for whatever the season looks like uh, moving forwards. Um, so I think um, I think one or two of the players lost their way a little bit. I think they may very well have had that in their minds. But I think um, there were a handful of them when they uh, conceded in the manner in which they did against Philadelphia. Uh, I think that they just um, psychologically went um, and the thought of home probably crept into their minds. So, um, look, I think it could still be viewed as a decent tournament for Sporting Kansas City, but the simple fact of the matter is, for a team to come in as prepped as they were, because I don't think there were any better prepared teams, maybe Orlando, uh, for obvious reasons, but mm-hmm. Kansas City were the first team to go back to train. Kansas City were the first team to play consistent 11v11s because they have a USL affiliate, they have a, uh, an academy, you know, um, they were able to play 11 v 11 and, and train much more consistently than most. And Peter Vermees was the one who came up with the initial idea of, of training in small groups and six players in certain areas and whatnot. You know, so, so they were the most prepared. They'd had more training than anybody and, and more. Um, they were able to gain more match sharpness than anybody coming into it. So with that in mind, you could probably say it was disappointing, but... In my opinion, I still thought it was a decent tournament from Sporting Kansas City. Um, and I, I just think now, because you have to think back to how poor last year was for them and their standards, I think that the technical staff of, of Kansas City would have been thinking, we really need to focus on on regaining uh, what, whatever it was that we had in the past and, and getting ourselves back to what most people consider a regular sport in Kansas City, and that is challenging for the playoffs and being towards the top end of the Western Conference. Because that wasn't going to be available in the latter stages of the MLS's back tournament, I just wonder if that was on their mindset. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it speaks volumes, um, Cal, about the the quality of sporting Kansas City overall that – you know, and again, this is it's a, it's a, it's a it's a franchise. It's a club that's built itself up over a number of years to be the expectations are to challenge for MLS Cup, and to see like I think you're right. I think this is still transitional. We saw they had a, a very poor year last year, but then brought in some good pieces. It's still transitional. They're still going to eventually have to go past Tamelia. They're going to have to find new pieces in the defense. Um, they're probably looking forward to the rest of the season and also thinking about the fact that you know you're looking at a compressed schedule. Um, which is probably going to hurt those older players more probably. It's something we'll get into a little bit more, but just the fact that like, you know, this is a weird season, right? You had some games, you had, you had preseason, you had some games, a huge layoff, a tournament, a layoff, and then lots of games in a short period of time. Like it's not going to be easy. It's going to test teams depth. Uh, another thing we'll probably get into talking about, but you know, maybe there's some of that is in their heads where they're saying, 
okay, we've accomplished our regular season results. We do want to play for the regular season. And now we're down to Philly. Um, you know, maybe going home at this point is not the worst thing. I mean, I think that as you're looking at them again on paper, as I was sort of working on the preview for this game, there's always good games between Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota United. Like they're, they're always fun. They've always got some bite. I like Sporting Kansas City. I'm very divided sort of as a team. I really like them as a Minnesota United person. I'm like, they're just kind of annoying as a team to play. <laughs> and so I've been to Kansas city to watch the team, to watch Minnesota United lose in Kansas city. It's not fun. So um, it's, it's always a good game. And I think you couldn't come up with a more fitting first game back in Allianz field in sporting Kansas city in, in times like these. Yeah, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> hey, we can't play them in the Open Cup this year, so we've got to play them somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the some of the. I mean, just touch briefly. We'll talk about them in more depth coming up. But like, just because we have so many games, um, and we have so many games to talk about, which is not something we had <laughs> the ability to do uh, during most of the tournament. So, uh, SC Dallas uh, is going to be the next game heading down to Dallas. Uh, I'm interested in in both sort of Dallas and Nashville. Again, it's one of these weird things where like they both had to leave MLS is back and now they've played each other twice in order to sort of make up some of those group stage games. Um, you know, I, I feel like Dallas is maybe at the point that a lot of teams were as they started MLS is back, which is they they just don't look good. You know, I mean, they've they scored zero goals in their last two games and gave up one to Nashville and gave Nashville their first MLS win. Um Dallas is, again, one of those teams that, you know, they rely on their academy. They rely on uh, young players. Um, they've got a lot going for them. Um, but they just they just sort of look a mess right now. Do you feel like it's just the fact of they have not had those games to play in the way that other teams have had with the tournament so far? Yeah, it'll take time, Steve. It'll really, really take time. Um, you know, again, they're one of those clubs that are fortunate that they have a USL affiliate, so they were able to arrange a couple of scrimmages, to my knowledge, and, and sort of keep semi-sharp. But it's not the same, you know, um, mm -hmm. when there's regular season points on hand and, and available, you know. Um, I thought they um, I thought they flattered to deceive against Nashville in both occasions. I wasn't particularly flattered with them. I thought um, Frank O'Hara was disappointing. He even played a little deeper in, in the second game against Nashville because I don't think he, he gave them the outlet that they wanted uh, in the first game at all. So... I'm interested to see what happens with that long term. Um, the, the interesting thing for, for Dallas right now, Steve, is um, is the goalkeeping situation. Obviously, uh, Jesse Gonzalez and the club came to a, a mutual agreement to, to part ways, and there's all sorts of rumours as to, to what that is. Either way, it's bad. And mm -hmm. um, as MLS employees, we probably shouldn't talk about it. But um, the, um, the the situation is is that now that they've they've brought in a young um, Brazilian goalkeeper. I'm going to get clarification on this pronunciation, but I'll give him my best shot here. Felipe Megularo. Um, Sounds good to me. Megularo. Felipe Megularo, apparently. He's on loan from Gremio um, with an option to buy. He's 21. Um, and this is, um, you know, Gremio, for those unaware, are, are, are a, a rather large club in Brazil. Um, so it's not like they've just plucked somebody from thin air, you know. it's um, This is a decent goalkeeper by all, all accounts. Um, so... That's an area of theirs that, that was needed to, to be sorted because Jimmy Maurer, I say this with all due respect, I, I don't think he's a, a goalkeeper that would start 34 consistent regular season games in Major League Soccer. Mm -hmm. Happy to be proven wrong, but I just don't think that's the case for him. Um, and the fact that they've gone and got a goalkeeper 
shows they feel the same as well. <laughs> so um, there's just, just a few little areas of uncertainty now for Dallas. I know they've brought in a central midfielder from Columbia as well. So, um, But fair play to, uh, to Nashville, who I thought looked assertive. Um, you know, they got the goal that they needed from, from David Akam uh, in the first game. Um, second game, they were a little bit more rigid. Um, I think they were probably playing for a draw in the second game. I didn't think they were as, as creative. I thought they were a little more reserved. But, um, yeah, look, either way, it's just been nice to have some, some Major League Soccer back, you know, at stadiums and everything. And I tell you what, Steve, I'm looking forward. We're recording this on a Tuesday. I'm looking forward to Toronto-Vancouver this evening. That could be a really good game. Yeah, there's a lot of games coming up. I mean, I don't even yes. want to. I only started diving into it because MLS Fantasy is also back, which um, oh. you know, the, the which is crazy. There, I just found out. Um, you know, last season we did the Fantasy 15 podcast with Jamie Watson, who's now over with with Nashville, um, and. Yeah, I'm lost again. I start. I opened up my fantasy team, and I'm like, oh, man, who's even good? Who's even bad? There's all these double game weeks. I mean, the the, the week is now going from tonight's game doesn't is not included in the fantasy that this what is now week three of the fantasy uh, season, uh, but it's uh, it's going to be like Wednesday through Tuesday, and there's games like most of those days, and so it's just going to be. Uh, I guess to to coin your to, to steal your phrase, absolute carnage uh, for fantasy players. So we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, let's uh, look one more step ahead because we can. Uh, Houston Dynamo, uh, obviously a team with with uh, some old Minnesota United friends on it, um, have not looked great. Also, o two and three uh, with a negative five goal differential. Um, what um, what is ailing? the Houston Dynamo um, at this point, other than the fact that, you know, last season they started really promisingly, but with a very home heavy schedule, uh, which ultimately sort of unraveled as they had to play more road games. And this is sort of for at least the last several years been the pattern with, with Houston Dynamo that very good at home. Um, it's very difficult place to play uh, as, as you all know, um, as Minnesota United knows. Uh, but um, but not so good away. Um, you know, what do you, what do you see from them? What are, what can they do to improve how they are right now? I think they gave the ball away too much in the center of midfield, Steve. Um, and I, I, I hate doing this because, um, Bonnet Garcia is, is essentially a club legend now at Houston yeah. Dynamo, but he's, he's well into his thirties. I think he might be 35 or 36. I, I, think, can't he's, I think he's 36. I think I saw. So. Yeah. It's, it's my, my point here is, is that, you know, he's, he's probably past his sell-by date now, you know, and, and he would be a good squad player, but I, th- I think they, the club are asking him um, to do too much. And I think they, they lost the ball a lot in the games that I saw. Um, and because they like to, uh, to also have um, the wide players go um, to, to tuck in, um, there, was, there was an emphasis to play through the middle. And I think Bonnet Garcia was usually the, the recipient of the pass from either the fullback or the centre-half. And, I just don't think it was as quickly as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. However, they have now at least potentially addressed that issue because they, they traded Tommy McNamara over to the Revolution and brought in uh, Wilfred Zahibo, who is a, a holding midfielder. Um, I think originally came in as a DP, actually, for the Reds, and it didn't work mm-hmm. out. Um, I could be wrong there, but he, I know he's a tamper at the very least. Uh, Ivory Coast, central midfielder, um, Strong and aggressive. Bruce Arena didn't fancy him for whatever reason, so hopefully he gets a new lease of life for the Dynamo there. Um, and the interesting one as well, Steve, again, we were talking about this on the other podcast. Um, the start of the season, I wasn't particularly impressed with the Dynamo from an attacking point of view either. And, and maybe it's because they weren't getting enough of the ball and, and whatnot, as I was alluding to earlier on. Um, but 
they've added uh, a rather intriguing centre forwards or attacking piece called um, um, Ariel Lassiter. I forgot his name there. Ariel Lassiter, a uh, young Costa Rican uh, centre forward who may be a familiar name to several because he was with the Galaxy for several years. Mm. He's also the son of the original Golden Boot winner in Major League Soccer, Roy Lassiter. <laughs> the reason, reason I bring this up, Steve, is because um, he was never really given a chance at LA Galaxy because, you know, Zlatan was the man at the time and, and prior to that, Robbie Keane and all that, you know, and he's a young kid. He's only, he's only what, 21 or 22, I believe, you know, so um, he should now start to be maturing and actually playing first-team football on a regular basis and, and anyway, so he, he, he was, um, I don't know if he was released or, or the Galaxy didn't um, renew his contract. Either way, he was no longer with the Galaxy. And he ended up going down to play for Alajuelense in Costa Rica. And Alajuelense are arguably the premier team. Maybe Saprisa would, would perhaps have some issue with that statement. But the point is, is that they're a very, very good team in Costa Rica. And there's... They seem to be always one of those teams that MLS teams come up against in the CONCACAF Champions League, you know. So there's an indication. They're always there or thereabouts. And uh, Ariel Lasseter has scored 21 goals for them since going down there. And he's only been down there a short time. Mm-hmm. And the Dynamo have taken him on loan with a view to a permanent deal. I'm interested to see how it works because we know they've got threat from out wide with the likes of Elise. So they're not short of creativity once they get the ball um, up to to the front line a bit more. Um, I wonder what it means for the centre-forwards because Manotas is clearly the number one there, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder what it means for someone like Christian Ramirez because he's not seen the field an awful lot during the you know this rather mishmash of a season that we're undergoing. He's not seen it as much as I think he would have wanted to. Right. Now there's another centre-forward coming in. You know, you have to start asking the question. It's either going to go one of two ways now for the centre-forwards, because as I said, Manotas, I didn't think, started particularly well either. Mm-hmm. It's either going to give them a boost and give them a kick in the backside and perhaps give be the message that they, they need, um, or they're going to flounder. And um, Lasseter will, will, will get a lot, of, a lot of playing time and there could be some issues. But I'm interested to see that one, Steve. That, that was the one, you know, obviously the window's been open since August 12th and there's been loads of moves going on and everything. And as I said, we spoke about it on our other podcast, on the Match Preview podcast. But there's, um, you know, that, that, that was a really interesting move for me. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think it could be a really astute move if it goes right. Uh, but to answer your question, Steve, for me, the Dynamo aren't possessing the ball enough um, through the centre of midfield. Um, yeah, maybe this this could be quite different in two weeks' time. Who knows? You know, we've got <laughs> there's a whole bunch of games coming up, so we'll we'll be revisiting that uh, with with Houston and how things are looking as we get closer there. Let's um let's turn and focus a little bit back towards um, the the overall restart and um, sort of Minnesota United within this. Um, one thing I found myself wondering about is is you know which. Which Minnesota United players, like, you know, we talked about this briefly before. This is this this kind of compressed schedule is likely to challenge teams' depth. Um, this is a deeper Minnesota United squad than we've had uh, in quite a while. Which which of those players who are depth players do you think stand to benefit the most um, from the team having to tap into that depth? We saw some of it at um, the MLS's back tournament and, and leaning on players like Raheem Edwards and Ja'Cory Hayes. Who, who do you think on the roster right now is going to get those opportunities to sort of show what they've got? Uh, yeah, I mean, the two names you mentioned there are the obvious ones, aren't they? But I also think Asani Dotson again, because he's proven he can play in several different positions. Uh, as we said on a previous podcast, I'm, I'm not as convinced with him at right back. I think he's a central midfielder. But 
had a stretch and a push, he could certainly play there. We've, we've seen him perform admirably there in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, depending on the situation with Ico Parra, you would have to assume, at least for the time being, that Jose Aha would continue to cement himself alongside Michael Boxall as the, as the number two centre-back. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Debassi comes in, mm-hmm. um, who, as I've said to you before, to my knowledge, is coming in as a centre-back. Um, I, I would assume as well that, that Ja'Cory Hayes would get an opportunity, because why wouldn't he? Because I think he's been very good. He's, he's done his job, if not more, since coming in. Um, and, you know, the, the, there are there are times, in, and we've seen it, haven't we, over the, not just this season, but the previous campaign, we've seen it, that Adrian will go to a 4-3-3 when he needs to, mm-hmm. um, whether that's at the 60th or 70-minute mark, or, or it's at the start of the game to start as a 4-3-3. And for me, Steve, straight away, Ja'Cory Hayes is the first player to come in. And, and even so, in my opinion, of course, it depends on the situation of the game. But if you're looking, if Minnesota are comfortable, and even if they're not comfortable, actually, if you're looking to inject some sort of energy, Ja'Cory Hayes is probably the first one I'm bringing off the bench, actually. Um, and look, as I said, it depends on, on the situation of the game, right? But but if you're looking to do that, Ja'Cory Hayes would be the first one for me. And then closely followed by someone like Raheem Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, that is if Asani Dotson isn't starting. So I think those sure. three are the obvious ones. Um, and then our Aha in there as well. Um but it's, it's a good problem to have for Minnesota United, isn't it? Uh, you know, <laughs> you think about a couple of years ago when we were talking about some of the individuals and you just thought, you know, obviously at, at the time it was it was difficult because we had to be fairly careful with what we said. But um, there were some players that, that I think it's it's safe to say now that they weren't good enough to play at, at that level. And, and I, I felt awfully sorry for the coaching staff at that stage who, who just couldn't do much about it. Um, but now there's no excuses. Now the, the roster is the best it's ever looked and, and here's hoping um, it, it gets um, it gets even better over the course of the next couple of uh, couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. As, as I was starting to put this list together, I was thinking, I, I initially forgot about Hassani because I think we still, we tend to think of him. I mean, he's almost like a 12th player, basically. Like he's, he is right there. And if the situation dictates it and given, um, you know, Ozzy Alonso's, age uh and and possibly missing some games the, the necessity of um switching to a 4-3-3 you know Roman Matanier having an injury um you know the different places he can slot in you just Hazani is almost right there um so I tend to I tend to forget about him I was also thinking of you know Mason Toy um had some some a couple opportunities at MLS's back that he didn't really take full advantage of but came you know tantalizingly close to putting in that header um uh late against Orlando City you know there's there's opportunities for him. He's still young. Uh, Tomas Chacon is another one where I don't know if he's uh, quite ready to be pulled out of the oven and put on the field. It's, it's easy to forget because obviously when he was signed and he's a young DP and you sort of pitched on like this, this kid is the future, literally turned 20 like a couple of days ago. You know, it's, there's a lot of work going into that. He had an injury issue that sort of kept him out of, of, of games, but you know, I know if you, if anybody follows, you know, social media and Minnesota United on social media, people want to see Tomas Chacon. They really want Chacon to get in the game. And, you know, I think he's going to get in there when it's time. And I think that it's okay uh, to, to give him, give him a little more seasoning before he's going to get in there. But again, there is a stretch coming up where there's, you know, four games in 11 days, maybe like five games in 15 days or something like that, or 16 days. And so um, they're going to need, they're going to need bodies. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if we got to see just about everybody on the roster at that point. Yeah. At some stage, I think we'll see just about everybody. Here's what I'll say, Steve, though, if a certain Argentine midfielder arrives at Minnesota United at some stage, 
I'm not entirely convinced people will be talking about Thomas Chacon not playing. Yeah. Um, look, Chacon, as we've said several times, is a very good young player. Um, I think right now he doesn't fit with Minnesota United. I think they, they took the opportunity of signing him when he came up because it was a good price. Um, I think, especially if Minnesota are active, which it seems they're going to be, um, in that area of the three behind the forwards, I think it best suits Thomas Chacon to go out on loan and play somewhere. Because yeah. I just don't think he'll play right now. Absolutely. Um, and I, look, I've got no insight or anything like that. I'm just, it's just me purely suggesting more than anything. I, I, if I was his agent, I'd be calling teams in South America and saying, look, we've got this kid here who's desperate to play, doesn't quite fit at the moment. Um, we, we need to get him playing. And, um, you know, once he gets some games under his belt elsewhere, um, then Adrian Heath will have a decision to make. But I, I just think right now, Steve, he just doesn't, he doesn't fit what Minnesota United are doing. And um, a lot of it comes down to, to performances and training as well. I, I just don't think he's, he's shown, he's certainly not shown any more than anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm not trying to slander the kid here, but um, I just think he would be, as you said, he's 20 years of age. I think it would benefit him massively if he went out on loan somewhere. Yeah, agreed. Um, another thing I want to bring up again, uh, that, which I think I touched on before here, but um, you know, this set of games with with no fans or, or limited fans in some places where teams are traveling to, uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch how a home field advantage is affected. It's one of these things that's sort of really interesting in MLS. Um, there's obviously a couple of things that are changing here. The travel stuff is going to be a little different. Um, and then the schedule is going to be compressed, which will affect this. But I still think it's one of those things that MLS is something like the home team wins 53% of the time. And that's, you know, in a league where there's also draws. So you can imagine how high a percentage of winning that is. It'll be interesting to see, you know, like what, what the effect of e- not like you're going to end up with scientific data about, you know, what supporters and what fans do, but I think it will be an interesting thing to sort of follow for all teams, you know, as they're going through this phase one, at least with, with, with no, no fans or limited fans and see, you know, what that home field advantage means and whether how much of it is sort of, you know, the climate, how much of it is affected by travel. And then the, the variable you've removed is, is the fans in the stands. I think it can be a really interesting uh, set of data. Yeah, it could be. It really could be. Um, it's just a shame, though, isn't it, with, with the fans not being there, Steve? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know. all things considered, I'd rather just be playing a regular, regular yeah. ass season of MLS and going to the stadium and not stuck in my house all day, every day. Uh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to find the silver lining here. I, and, and you've done a very good job of finding a silver lining. In fact, it's, it's shining, the silver, as you've done so well there. But uh, no, I, I, it's just, as I said to you earlier on, pal, for, for me, it's one of them where look, football is nothing without the fans. And, um, you know, whilst there's obvious things to, to compete for, there's points on the line, um, you know, I, I, I just don't think there's going to be any sort of um, experience that we're, we'll, we'll all be, you know, over the moon with because the, the fans won't be there. You know, I know at one, at one stage today at the stadium, they were piping in some, some crowds, uh, sounds, which, which worked well. Uh, everybody seemed to, to think it was good. Um, but it's just not the same, and it, and it won't be the same. It, it you know, and we understand why, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. it's just not going to be the same for a while. And um, you know, it's it's going to take some adapting to it. Really well, especially like, you know, for the players, it'll be okay because the players have played essentially in silence for the last month, really, or, or six weeks, yeah. or what have you. 
Um, we've been treated to the crowd noise on various different broadcasters, but for the players, it'll be no different. But for us, it's going to be strange. It, it really will be. But whether you're a fan or working for the team or whatever, it's going to be strange. It, it takes some adapting for sure. Yeah. Well, at least we're getting it back and we'll get to see Allianz Field. And, you know, it's uh, I'm sure it'll be helpful for the players to be playing in their home stadium. Um, I know I'm sure they're all chomping at the bit to get out there and and play another team in Allianz Field, um, even without the fans. So um, thanks for joining us for the 108th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Friday, August 21st at 7.30 p.m. as the Loons return to Allianz Field to face Sporting Kansas City presented by Allianz. You can watch that on Fox Sports North Plus. Double checking, okay. And listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.